Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. It is Wednesday evening, February the 22nd, 2023. Back in the first class, I gave you a list of topics that are touched upon by the book of Revelation. And this afternoon, I went through and started looking at them, at how many we're actually going to be able to cover. These are the, these are the ones, there's about nine of them, that we'll be covering in some upcoming chapters And here's all the rest of them. That's why it takes 55 weeks to really go through the book of Revelation. There's at least 20 topics that we're not going to touch. And a couple of these have more than one topic associated with them. So we we may or may not get to all these topics. I will tell you this. There is an advanced Revelation class. If y'all would like to have one, maybe we can rent a broom closet here and I can bring my projector and project it up on the wall where we can actually get into some of these other topics um, like the Dead Sea Scrolls, the uh, Latin Vulgate Mark of the Beast. That's interesting. Uh, Things that the Church of Christ do not realize about the book of Revelation. What a working knowledge of the book of Revelation actually is. Symbolism and figurative language. I believe Mark Bailey talked about figurative language back when he had his class back in the spring. So we may just let his class on figurative language cover cover us here. Hymns versus Revelation. Oh, there's a bunch of those. Oh, that reminds me. I have a homework assignment for you. I'm not going to tell you all the answers or all the, all the solutions to all these songs. I'm going to let you figure out some of them, okay? So I have a song that I would like for you to research. And when you see, if you see me next Sunday, Sunday night, next Wednesday night, come up to me and tell me what you discovered about this song. What I need you to do is to find out the name of the author, his religious affiliation, use a non-Church of Christ website to analyze this song, Go to five websites, ten websites. Analyze the first stanza of this song, and then come back and tell me what you find. The song is Rock of Ages. I was kind of surprised when I found this. I wasn't expecting it, but this will be some, This will give you a little bit of homework assignment. By the way, how is your NCAA Division I Power 5 home football field Nicknames coming along. Have y'all, have y'all got that list finished? Yeah. Well, we're going to be using that in a few chapters from now. Do y'all remember me assigning that? If you haven't done that, go ahead and look at the division at the at the Power Five. They call it. There used to be Power Six, but one of them's gone gone by the wayside. Power Five NCAA Division One f- home field nicknames. Now, sometimes it's the, home, it's the hometown and not necessarily the stadium. For example, I'll give you an example of two. You'll hear the ESPN announcer when he talks about Alabama going to Auburn to play football. He's going to say the boys from T-Town are headed down to the Plains. T-Town and Plains. Nicknames for the football. 
work on the other teams and see, and see what you can find as far as those. We'll be using those when we get to chapter 17. So two homework assignments for you. Okay. Let's do a real quick review on exactly where we are now. In chapter 1, we found out who actually put pen to paper, pen to papyrus, and actually wrote Revelation, wrote, these, wrote this vision, and we know where he was when he wrote it. We have chapters 4 and 5, which is an introduction to the main characters, which chapter 4 is God, chapter 5 is the Lamb of God. Chapter 6, in this court case that's being laid out against the villain of the book of Revelation, we have pretty much a table of contents for the book of Revelation. If you read chapter 6, you're going to know what's going to happen throughout the rest of the book. Chapter 7, God IDs his people so that the plagues that he brings on the villain of the book of Revelation does not impact his people. Chapter 8, God declares his power and his domain. Chapter 8 is the chapter that we're really not sure what we can do with. Chapter 9 is almost the same. We're not exactly sure what to do with it, except chapter 9, verse 20 says that, that after all these plagues, the villain of Revelation still did not repent. We had our Pompeii video. Three things that, that premillennialists claim about Pompeii is it's God's revenge against Rome for what Rome was doing to the church. It says that refer, the Revelation references Pompeii directly, the destruction of it, that is. And that Pompeii was Rome's karma. We got into karma and talked about it for a little while. That archaeological video proved that Rome was indeed guilty of those five sins, and therefore Rome is a possibility for the, being the villain of the book of Revelation. Chapter 10, we have an angel that we're going to be reading tonight. We have an angel speaking for God. And basically what that angel is saying is God has had enough. We see God's patience running out. And in chapters 11, 12, and 13, we're going to find out what God has had enough of. Chapter 11 is a history of of God's people suffering in the Old Testament. Chapter 12 begins almost at creation and brings us up to this point in time when it was with respect to God's people suffering. And then chapter 13 talks about the time period that Revelation was actually written. So let's get started with chapter 10. Brother Holmes, will you please read chapter 10 for us? I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, And a rainbow was on his head, his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, 
that there should be delayed no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, as he declared to his servants the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go take the little book which is opened in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. That's the artwork that lady from Revelation Illustrated painted for chapter 10. She has some really good pictures. I like them. There's not a lot of symbolism in chapter 10, so there's not really a lot of in-depth discussion, but there are a few points that I would like to to bring out to you just to make sure you you notice them. Verse 2 says, And he had in his hand a little book, talking about this angel, open, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the earth. This word book is not the same it's not the same version of the Greek word that we find for the seventh for the scroll that has seven seals on it. This this version of of this Greek word is only found three times in the New Testament, and all three of them are in the Revelation chapter ten. The best translation for this word is actually not book; it's a papyrus roll. After the first century, then they started using this word to mean book. But at this time, it was mainly papyrus roll type type scrolls. We've mentioned this verse already, but this is a very this very interesting insight, if nothing else, to the, to the to the inspiration John had. It says, and when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. Is the book of Revelation inspired? We've covered this already. Yes, it is. John said at least three times that he was in the Spirit. Well, here he was in the Spirit, and he was hearing thunder speak. And right as he started to go write it, he was told, don't write it. What does that mean? It means he was, he, was, he was seeing this vision and writing it at the same time. I mentioned to you before, go to bed tonight with a, with a clean pad of paper and a pencil. Well, a pen. A pen would be safer in case you roll over on top of it. Take that, pad and, take that pen and pencil paper and pen to bed with you and write down the dream you have and in the morning you ought to have a full full categorization of the dream you had, right? This is just more proof that John was indeed he was indeed inspired. We can't do this without inspiration. There's no way you can have a vision and have your mind controlled by a spiritual being and, and able to write at the same time. See, 
Revelation chapter 10, verse 5. Here is where God says, I have had enough. Now remember, we just got out of chapters 8 and 9 where God put these plagues. We don't know how, but he put these plagues on the villain of the, of the book of Revelation and, and the villain refused to repent. So now in verse, verse 5 of chapter 10, God says, basically, I have had enough. Now, an interesting little phrase here that's in red. It says that there should be time no longer. You say, well, that sounds to me like that's the end of the world, is it not? Well, no, it's not. And, of course, your response is going to say, okay, prove it. Something that the churches of Christ are going to have to get used to doing when it comes to the book of Revelation is letting Revelation talk to you. We, we have all these preconceived notions, all these oral traditions that have been passed down for seven or eight generations that we've, we have got to break ourselves free from and just let Revelation talk to us. How can we prove that this is not the end of time? It's actually pretty simple. Because in chapter 18, we see that the world continues after the judgment occurs. The judgment of the villain of the book of Revelation takes place in chapter 16. Chapters 14 and 15 is heaven's response to that judgment finally coming. Chapter 16 is the actual judgment. That's Armageddon. We have chapter 17 that gives us a positive identification and a little bit more information about the villain of of the book of Revelation. And in chapter 18, we have what is basically the response of the kings of the earth to the loss of this villain. This villain is going to go away. He's going to be destroyed. And we're getting the response from the kings of the earth to that judgment and to that destruction of that villain. And the reason we're getting a response is because these kings were getting rich off of this villain. How can we have a response from the kings of the earth in chapter 18 if the end of the world is in chapter 16? How can we have a response from the kings of the earth if chapter 10 says that time is it, time is over, that's it? We've got to be able to use the entire book of Revelation from front to end to be able to understand basically what's going on. You've got to use some front-end information to understand things in later chapters. You've got to use later chapters to understand things that are happening in earlier chapters. Does that make sense? Am I making sense? Okay. That's important. That's something that we we just don't ever hear. The book of Revelation must be consistent all the way through. Otherwise, my interpretation is totally wrong. Here's a good little question. This, neither here nor there. The mystery of God. What is the mystery of God? Someone wax eloquently for me, please. I agree. And here's four verses where it talks about the mystery of God, and that's what the mystery of God means in these four verses. I don't have any reason to think that the mystery of God in Revelation is any different. 
I would be in trouble if I said that it was something different because I don't know what else it could be. Mystery of God is God's plan. It's his gospel. It is his plan to reconcile us back to him. So when, when Revelation comes up with something, use the Bible. Use the Bible and use history to try to find out exactly what it means. Don't try to invent something brand new. The wheel's already, invented, already been invented. Let's, let's use it. Any comment on that? Before we move on. Okay. Yeah. He's basically, oh, you're talking about the judgment of the villain of the book of Revelation? I take it that the villain had the opportunity to hear the mystery of God. It has been declared to them. Remember, by the time the book of Revelation was written, Peter and Paul were both dead. So they had that entire period to hear the gospel, and they, I'm sure they did hear it. But after everything God tried to do for them, uh, I go back to chapter 9, verse 20. They repented not. Does that answer your question? It was revealed to them. That, that, that's the best answer I could come up with. We're going through these pretty quick, so we may get a couple of Revelation characteristics done tonight. We're about to do one right now. Revelation chapter 10, verses 8 through 11, has something really interesting to say. This book, this little scroll that this angel had, he told, he told John to take it and eat it. John took it, he ate it. It was sweet to his mouth like honey, but it was bitter to his stomach. What could that possibly be? Don't forget, the previous slide, the previous verse talked about the mystery of God. Let's add one more verse to it to kind of help us out. John is told that he must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. If you remember back in lesson two, I believe it's lesson two, we talked about Eusebius, a uh, a third century historian, he quoted Irenaeus as saying that John was indeed seen in Asia after he left Patmos. He actually continued with his ministry for a while. We don't know when John died, but we do know he got off of Patmos and he continued his ministry for a while. So, with the previous slide saying the mystery of God, and the next slide telling John, you're going to have to do this again. You're going to have to preach again. Then what is this What is this sweet and bitter bit? What's that talking about? Anyone want to make a guess? The only thing I can think of that that could possibly be is people's response to the mystery of God, people's response to the gospel. And all of you can sit here and name a boatload of names for me of people you know who talk a good talk, but they aren't about to walk it. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, then the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. There's our memory verse again. Yeah, 
this, this little book must have been the gospel. It must have been. I don't know what else it could be. And the response that John is going to see when he goes back into his ministry again is some people are going to accept it, some people are not. Sweet to the mouth, but bitter to the stomach. Basically, it's easy to talk it, but it's hard to walk it. It's easy to talk and act religious, but once you actually digest what the gospel requires of us, that turns a lot of people off. Which is going to get us... Wow, we're going fast here tonight. This is going to get us into our revelation characteristic for this for this particular chapter. How many of you have seen that term before? It's very easy for us at a funeral to say, this person's soul is now with God. Whether they walked in the light or not. Glenn Colley mentioned that in a sermon several weeks ago. Do you remember that? He mentioned that, that, that he knows of some, some ministers that he knows that will come close to saying to the family during a funeral that, yes, your, your loved one is, is in God's care now. He's with God, or they are with God. Implying that regardless of the way they live their lives, they're in heaven now. Well, I don't think preachers are the only people who do this. I know several members of the church. Again, I've never heard this phrase here. Thank you. Let's, let's keep it that way. But I know of a lot of members of the church who love this phrase, rest in peace. What exactly does that mean? If you go to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, it is a blessing or expression of hope that a deceased person is at peace. It's also saying one hopes that a person who has died will have peace in death. Well, let's, um, why do you say we go to the Bible and see what the Bible says about this, okay? What about a guy named Samuel? When Saul went to the witch of Endor to, to recall Samuel because God wouldn't talk to Saul, he wanted to get some answers from Samuel. Recalled Samuel, Samuel came up. What was the first word Samuel said? Why have you, yeah, why have you disturbed my rest? Was Samuel at rest? Was he at peace? Oh, yeah. By the way, where was Samuel? Abraham's bosom, right? How about the rich man? The rich man in Lazarus. Was the rich man in peace? Absolutely not. How about Lazarus? Oh, yes, definitely. What about the saints in Revelation who were murdered during the tribulation? Were they at peace? Yeah, they were. Were they at peace? Probably so. Yes, they were. They they were definitely they were definitely asking God, okay, we got a problem down there you need to solve, right? Absolutely. Even though we see those examples in the Bible, in reality, we judge a rest in peace on a case by case basis. We basically de- rely on two things, popularity and likability. And two, two real good examples of those is recording artists and Hollywood stars. 
Anytime you see a recording artist that was very popular, very rich, very famous, or the same for a Hollywood star who dies, and it's someone who is likable, you will hear people come out of the woodwork saying, oh, rest in peace. By the time a person dies, that is already determined. So that saying rest in peace really does not even make sense to me. I do not, I'm not going to stand up here and say if it's scriptural or not. I'm, I really, I'm not too sure about that. I, I don't know. I'm not sure I could prove either way. But it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense because when a person dies, that's already decided. So, what does Revelation say about, about this term, rest in peace? Revelation chapter 14, verse 13 says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palms in their hands. Palms being the the, the universal symbol of peace. Now clearly, these are the ones who, as our memory verse said, walked in the light, okay? What does Revelation say about those who do not? Revelation chapter 14, verse 11 says, And the smoke of their torment ascends up. He's talking about the people who who bow the knee to Caesar, the people who are worshiping the beast, quote-unquote, that we'll get into in, in chapter 13. And the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they will have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Now, whether they talked a good talk, we don't know. But we definitely know they did not walk the walk. Clearly, the word of God was, was bitter to their stomach. God is not going to stay up all night wringing his hands trying to figure out what to do with us. Remember when we talked about, Revela- uh, when we talked about premillennialism, that chart, which I, don't, I forgot to put it in here, that chart that shows you can be raptured, or you can be tossed into Hades, or you have a third alternative. If God's just not quite sure what to do with you, then we'll, we'll, we'll take you into the tribulation, and God is going to scrub you by hand in person and see if he can get you clean enough. If he can get you clean enough, then you're going to be allowed to go into heaven. If he cannot get you clean enough, then he's just going to toss you down to the Hadean world. That's not what Revelation says. Yeah. Yeah, we actually got. Yeah, we actually t- we discussed that. If you remember, we'll we'll go back over that again, just just to remind us. I read a premillennialist website that said that the death of Jesus on the cross was a mistake. It was an error on Jesus' part, and it was a miscalculation on God's part. It was a miscalculation on God's part because God didn't realize what the Jewish response to Jesus was going to be. And he says it was an error on Jesus' part because he let himself get arrested in the first place. And that's the whole purpose of the thousand-year reign. Jesus... Because of an error on Jesus' part and a miscalculation on God's part, Jesus was not not able to establish 
his kingdom here on earth. That's what the thousand year reign is going to be. He's going to come back. And this time he's not going to use the Jews. Uh uh-uh, uh, you can't, you can't trust the Jews. He's going to use the Christians. He's going to use his church because he knows he can trust his church. There are a couple of kids outside, small kids. Can someone go let them in? They're standing there. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Just about everything premillennialists claim about the book of Revelation contradicts the Bible somewhere. Usually in more than one place. Yeah. When you die, it is decided you know what's going to happen. Any other comments on that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, we will be away from our problems. In fact, that is exactly what Revelation teaches. Yes, those verses we just said. Yes, absolutely. We'll be away from our pressures. We'll be away from our problems. Thank you, Jason. We'll be away from our problems. We'll be away from our pressures, and we'll be at, we'll be at peace. And that also leads us to the question: Where is paradise? This place beneath the altar of God, before the throne of God, is that where paradise is? That's where these Christians who were murdered in the, in the tribulation were. Is that where, where paradise is? I have no problem with someone saying that it is. I don't have a problem with someone saying it isn't. We, we don't really know, but that's where these Christians were. That's where their souls were. It stands to reason that may be where paradise is. But God's not going to stay up all night wringing his hands coming up with a third alternative for us. When we die, it is decided. It is definitely decided. We are early, so we may do another revelation characteristic if we have time. Any comments on that? Is telling someone, you have someone who has died, clearly they didn't care anything about the Bible, but yet someone says, rest in peace. Number one, is that our place to even say that? Number two, is that even scriptural to say with someone who, God, who didn't care one way or the other about God? What are your thoughts on that? Some people say that to make you feel good. Yes, that, that is true. That is true. That's true. That's true. The best you can do is just see what you can see, and that's true. That's right. Yeah. You don't know for sure positively. You can look at someone's life and have a pretty good indication, possibly. But as far as being 100% positively certain, I'm not sure we can be 100% positively certain about anything. 
all you can do is just look at their lives, look at the way they live their lives, the way it seems they live their life, and determine it by that. But I'm glad I'm not the one who determines that. We'll, we'll let God have that job. Yeah, yeah. That's why I'm glad that, that God has that job and not me. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, wrong one. Any more comments on rest in peace? I'm curious what you have to think about it. I know what I think about it. I don't know what you think about it. What do you think about it? Can we, we can hope someone goes to heaven, yes. But after they die, we say, rest in peace. We don't. Say what? Yeah, I've heard the phrase, may they rest in peace. I'm not sure there's really, well, is there much difference between rest in peace and may they rest in peace? <laughs> okay, all right. Two engineers talking about a definition of something. That, that's a, that, yeah, that's, we're, we're all, we've already lost, yeah. That's right, that's right, that's right. Well, we can say bless you, and that's, I mean, I'm, I'm up here coughing, hacking up, hacking, hacking cough because of catching COVID a year ago. Still got a cough from it a little bit. Somebody says bless you, it's, we basically, it's a nice way of saying excuse you, you know, go do something about your cough. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I can accept bless you a lot quicker than rest in peace. Rest in peace just... I don't know, it raises a little red flag back here somewhere. I'm just not sure about that phrase. That's a good point. Yeah. Which... It's kind of interesting. If they don't believe in eternity, then why do they say rest in peace? But if they no longer exist anymore, if they just dissolve into nothingness like the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses teach. And I think, I did a class on this one time. There's another religion that says you can just go into oblivion and not exist anymore. 
then there's really no reason to tell somebody to rest in peace or hope you rest in peace because they don't exist anymore. Yeah, but that's true. People who do not, do not believe in God, people who are not trying to follow God, they'll say rest in peace all the time. I don't know why. I don't know where they think the soul of this person is in order to rest in peace. Well, people who believe in God believe that there is a heaven and a hell. People who do not believe in God, no. Don't believe it, so I don't know why they would even say rest in peace. Yeah. Good question. Good question. You can research that and answer it next week. Yeah. Somebody over here. I agree. I don't think they give you the thought. Ninety percent of them don't. It's just something they've heard, you know, or something they've read, you know, and it's not really anything that they're thinking about as far as somebody's soul. They're just making a, a say. What do you say when you talk somebody who's just lost somebody? I mean, yeah. You really have lost the words anyway. Yeah, you are. Think of a standard soundbite or statement that everybody says and hope, you know, that. Uh, it's right, just like when you sneeze and someone says, God bless you, you know, it's like, well, how can you tell him to bless me, you know, so, yeah. it's just, you know, I, th- I think it's just an off-the-cuff statement is really all it is, if they give it any thought, like we have, they might not say it again. Yeah, it may be an off-the-cuff statement, yeah, just because we're not sure what else to say, that's true. Yes? Okay. Have your microphone. Hang on just a second. Have your microphone. Let me just take this. Or actually, I'll just, I'll just keep mine right here. Let's go ahead and do this. Okay, well, we, you know, I guess we're about ready to tenderize this horse. We beat it enough. So, uh, but uh, I would think may is always an expression of a desire or wish or hope, but not necessarily say that person is this or that or whatever. May he or she rest in peace. I would say a sincere desire, not knowing anything else, but that that the hope is there. Maybe unknown or uneducated hope or uninformed hope, but but just a desire for something positive. Okay. What do y'all think of that? You're an engineer, man. We can. Okay. The uh, biblical definition of peace is not the one that we commonly use. It means in uh, right relationship, and so the words right, have a right relationship apply to the living, not the dead. It's used in the Bible with regard to people that are living. Okay. Anybody else?
If I can get y'all to thinking with the book of Revelation in mind, this class is definitely a success. Yes, and I'm trying to think. Oh, the word karma. We may redefine the word karma to ourselves, but that's not what karma means to this person we're talking to, maybe. Yeah. Rest in peace probably means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I do not know if it's right to use it. I don't know if it's wrong to use it. I don't know if it's something we need to avoid, like the word karma. But it is still something kind of interesting to consider. Who would have ever thought that the idea of rest in peace would be part of the book of Revelation? A revelation defines for us what that peace actually is as when, it, when it relates to death. Thank you for the, for the feedback tonight. Very good. If I can get you to think, if I can get you thinking... I'm not trying to get you to agree with me. I'm just trying to get you to think about this book and all the topics that are associated with it. Okay, we're not going to get this this last... We're not going to be able to do this this extra revelation characteristic. We'll do it some other time. That revelation characteristic was... um, Three verses in the book of Revelation that we have a tendency to take out of context... I won't say we have a tendency, I'll, I'll just flat out say we do take out of context. And even though the way we take it out of context is still consistent with the rest of the Bible, we're taking it out of context of the book of Revelation. And its meaning in Revelation is a little bit different than the way we use those three verses. Maybe next week we can, we can cover those verses. That, that, that's another one of those possibly controversial discussions we can have. Any more comments? Yes, sir. Let me walk to you. I've attended many funerals. I've preached many funerals. And most of those I attended, the person was going to heaven. I attended one where the person was going to hell. The preacher said that. He didn't know and the other preachers didn't know the people were saved. We can't know. I don't care how well we know the person. We sit around and talk about what our loved ones are doing in heaven. We don't know. They're meeting grandma and grandpa and having fun. We don't know any such thing. I let God handle those things. And I'm glad I'm not the one who has to handle those, that's for sure. It's like my dad said. My dad was a preacher all of his life. He said, he said, I'm glad it's not my decision because I would let people into heaven that shouldn't be there. And he said, I might accidentally leave people out of heaven that should have gone. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad that's not our decision. We're actually, one of our, one of our upcoming, what's happening here? One of our upcoming Characteristic of Revelation, just to give you a little heads up, is going to involve funerals. That's going to be one of the discussions. It's a very interesting discussion. Well, that's all I've got tonight. Thank you all for your attention. Thank you for your feedback. Appreciate the discussion. And that is all.
We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.